Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Pastor Jason, it's an honor to call you friend, and we're so thankful that you're here. Bethesda Church, would you give a big God bless you to Pastor Jason Dodrell as he comes to share God's word with us tonight. Man, that's a nice picture. Could y'all Photoshop some pounds off of me? That would make me feel a lot better. How many love Jesus? How many believe the Lord is already doing something to this place tonight? Amen. I am truly, truly honored to be here tonight. Um, I don't take this for granted, the opportunity to share God's word, and I don't take it for granted to have the opportunity to share it at a place like this. Um, I've been here before. I don't know if you remember. I came uh, back in February of 2020. Lots happened since I was last here. Just a couple of things. But um, how many know the Lord is faithful? And he is true. And he is good. Would you look at your neighbor and say, hello, neighbor. I believe this word is for you. By the way, Have you lost weight? Makes everybody feel better when you ask that question. No, I believe God does have me on assignment tonight. And if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8, we'll be there in just a moment. But I want to just lay a quick foundation. We were singing about authority. and, And just in my spirit, I just heard the Lord just stirring me to just give a quick exhortation. This is an appetizer, okay? On the reality of the authority we walk in. And the reality is this, is that sometimes we don't understand why we do what we do. Can somebody, can you shout amen real quick? Just shout amen. Now, can you clap your hands? Is somebody bold enough to stand up and twirl for a moment? Just be a dancer. Who's the bold worshipers in that? There you go. There you go. And you may think, why do we do that kind of stuff? And maybe you come from a background that doesn't do that. You guys can go. I know I told y'all to stay, but you guys are good to go. Give this worship team a hand for the job they do. You may think, why do we do that stuff? And, and, and I want to just, just tell you really quick about the significance that this is not a religious organization. This is a kingdom movement in the earth. And, and when you look at the kingdom, things operate from a kingdom government, not from a religious order. And so what happens when religious people get in this kind of atmosphere, they get offended when kingdom people do kingdom stuff. And they say, that's not an order. It's not in religious order, but we are not a part of a religious order. We are part of a kingdom order. And there are things we do in the spirit that changes things in the natural. And, and so, like, for instance, I had you clap. Why, you know, I had you amen. I had you, had you dance. Why do we do that? Like, when you realize that we are the ecclesia, the ecclesia, we, we are the, the church. That's the Greek word for church. And ecclesia is a government term 
of a group of people that would come together to choose to ratify the decisions of the empire to make the, the rules and the laws of the empire and initiated and carried out in their land. So you could be a part of the empire and Rome, for instance, they would take over your land, but they would allow you to keep your customs. But then they would allow you to adopt their customs at the speed of your own decision. And this is why they were so successful. It's why there was still a temple when the Roman Empire was there until AD 70. And so what would happen is the ecclesia would choose how quickly they would adopt the cultural values of the kingdom that has overtaken the land. And so the way they would vote when they came together is they would say, this is, they would send out a, an apostolos, an apostle would come into a region and that apostolos would send out a kerux, which is translated preacher, that preacher would then cry out in the town and call the ecclesia together and would say, this is what the law of the new kingdom is. And the people would shout, amen, or so be it, to ratify the new law and the new culture of the kingdom that has overtaken the land. Can I tell you that Acts 17 tells us this, that those who have turned the world upside down have come here too, acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. So, so, so get this, when you shout, can I get another amen? amen? You are voting yes to the kingdom. You are saying, we don't just wanna be a part and make it to heaven one day, but we want to initiate the cultural values and the laws of the kingdom we are a part of and to reap the blessing and the benefits of what is being said in the atmosphere right now. So when I'm preaching, you can help me tonight. You are not saying amen to help a preacher's ego. You are saying amen because you are grabbing that promise out of the atmosphere and you are saying that is for me and that is for my house. Well, well you're clapping now. What's clapping? Clapping is because it reminds the enemy that we have bodies. And having bodies means we have authority because the Lord created us and put us in this earth, created us from this earth, breathed into us, and that we who have these terrestrial bodies have authority in the earth. So when you are clapping, you are reminding the enemy, I am made in the image of God. I am made in flesh and blood. He has given me dominion, authority in the earth and not you. Can we give God a praise tonight? This ain't even my message, but I gotta share this. It's in my spirit. Well, what about the dancing? I just don't believe in that. I believe it is the eccentric actions of a few emotional and unintelligent people that have not ascended into the realm of reflective worship. <laughs> don't lie. You just don't feel cool dancing. You ain't got no moves, and that's why you ain't doing it. But the reality is when a kingdom would take a new land and they would come back, there would be people going before the parade that is coming in as they would come in triumphantly dancing before the king and before the soldiers to announce that we have victory. So understand this, when David brought the ark back into, into Israel, he was dancing before it. He says, I'm about to get even more undignified than this. So when you see people dancing, they're not just dancing. They don't just feel it. It's not just goosebumps. Like they are saying the Lord is victorious. I have all victory. You don't understand what I've been going through and he brought me through. He broke the chains. He healed my body. He saved my children. He delivered us in his name. Can somebody praise him tonight because he's good. 
If you have your Bible, if you'll turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. You say, why did you do that? Just to make the devil mad. And religious people too. Luke chapter 8. We'll be there in just a moment. Um, I want to talk to you tonight on the topic, let him finish. Let him finish. I am a dialogue preacher, not a monologue preacher. So one more time, look at your other neighbor and say, I didn't talk to you last time, but I am now. Let him finish. Let him finish. A few weeks ago, I was in a restaurant in our, our hometown of Shelbyville. And you ever just had one of those days? One of those days where you're like, I wish I didn't pastor here right now so I could show my tail. You ever have one of those days? Y'all ever have one of those days? Which, by the way, I got so caught up in the spirit. Can we honor my friend, Pastor Chad and Pastor Karen, for the amazing leadership and who they are? Come on, man. We clap for the new guy, but what about the people who stay? What about the people don't just blow through, but they, they dig something out here and they fight back hell and they, and they pray for your family like, man, we love you guys. You guys are the real deal. I'm just going to tell y'all, I ain't going to make that drive for many people. I just moved from an SUV to a sedan. I'm a big brother. Man, I look like, like Wreck-It Ralph coming down the interstate. But I made it by God's grace. A few weeks ago, I was, I was at that restaurant, and it was just one of those days. It was one thing after another thing after another thing. My dog didn't even like me that day. It was just one of those days. And it was one of those days when somebody decided to send me an email about my use of a Hebrew word. When you go back into the original Hebrew, and you know, it's not really, it doesn't mean tired. It means weary. I'm like, bro, look at a thesaurus. Tired, weary, not very different, bro. But I'm now the heretic of Shelbyville because I said it meant tired. And so anyway, it's, uh, it was just one of those days, man. And I was, I was frustrated. I was upset. And I was just, I was waiting on somebody to do something because I wanted to react. And, 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 and I'm getting up to check out. I'm going to pay for my meal. I'm going to go home and complain until the Holy Spirit convicts me. Y'all know y'all do it too. And, 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 I'm, and I'm getting ready to go online. And this lady walks in like she owns the place and just cuts right in front of me. At this point, I'm like, I can't hit a woman, but I can trip one. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I don't condone violence. Not at least out in the open like that. Um, and so... And so I'm, I'm sitting there and, and I'm, I'm like, I'm like Christian cussing in my head. Darn you. Dang it. Like I, just all those Christian cuss words we have. And I'm upset and I'm frustrated and I'm about to say something. And then she turns around and she goes, I'm so sorry, pastor. I just had to get in front of you to pay for your meal today. Shot through the heart, you're to blame. You give me a bad name. Like, it hurt, y'all. I was like, oh, I'm horrible. Never mind, she goes to my church and I have no clue who this lady is. And 
I'm like, she was trying to get in front to pay. Help me, Jesus. Anybody know sometimes you get frustrated in life and you're waiting and somebody gets something before you and you get frustrated and you don't even realize the whole time that God's working everything to your good? We're going to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read some Bible tonight. Luke chapter 8. Is it okay to read the Bible at Bethesda Church? Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse number 40, says this. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him, for they were all waiting. Somebody say waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years, who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came into the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're changing lives. Thank you for this church that loves you and loves your kingdom. Thank you for your anointing. If I say anything in and of myself tonight, guard their hearts. But if what I say tonight is from you, let it find good ground to bring forth a harvest in Jesus' mighty and strong name. And everybody says amen and amen. So notice at the beginning of this text, it's a word that I had everyone say, and it's the word waiting. Everyone in this story was waiting on Jesus. So I say that from the outset because I need us to understand you're not special. Just because you're having to wait, you are not the exception. Just because you found a waiting season doesn't mean God doesn't love you. Just because you're waiting on something to happen doesn't mean that there's something necessarily wrong with you. Just because there's been a waiting season, it doesn't mean that somehow God has disconnected himself from you. Waiting is a part of our faith. Understanding God's waits and understanding God's knows is just as much a part of faith as seeing the miraculous breakout in our midst. And what I would offer to you this is if you have a theology of victory without a theology of suffering, it is only a matter of time before you shipwreck in your faith. Because sometimes we are in a waiting season. Sometimes it's not the way we thought it would be. 
But we have to trust him to know that he is the God who works all things to the good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I don't understand it. I can't see it. But I have determined to be like the Hebrew boys that I believe he's going to deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't, I'm still not going to bow to you. I still want to be like Job that, that believes him for a breakthrough, but though he slay me, yet will I trust him that with my dying breath, if I'm laying there, it's going to be declaring the healing power of Almighty God because I believe what I believe, because I believe his word. So they're waiting in this. And we're introduced to two main characters standing alongside Jesus in this narrative. And we find them in the name of Jairus. Jairus was the leader of a synagogue, a religious leader. He had a name in the story. He was a man which meant something in that culture. He represented the best of Israel and the best that Israel had to offer. And then you have this woman who is nameless. She has no name. She's a woman which automatically in that culture made her less than. She had no name. She was actually, she didn't have a name, but she was named by her issue. Anybody know a woman with an issue? Husbands, you better not raise your hand right now because she is looking. I don't know one either in case she's watching online. Honey, I don't know no women with issues. But this woman was named by her issue. You say, well, I don't understand what, what you mean she was named by her issue. You know what I'm talking about? When you, when you talk about the homosexual in accounting, but you don't even know his name. You know what I'm talking about? When you talk about the drug addict on the street corner, but you don't even know his name. Like, like it's easy for us to name people by their issue and never know their name. And so there's this woman in the story. She doesn't have a name. She is, she is named by her issue. She's unclean. She would have been ostracized and alone. So, so you have two people in two totally different spheres of influence and spectrums of life. You have one that is in the elite upper echelon who is influential, who is affluent, who is respected, who is religious. You have another that is ostracized, that is that has been in 12 years living in isolation, not able to touch anyone for 12 years because they would have been unclean if she would have touched them. So can you imagine going 12 years without physical touch, 12 years without affection, 12 years without community, 12 years without a people? So you have two people in two totally different spheres, one who is at the center of the Jewish community as a leader of the synagogue and another that is the center of isolation as she is on the outskirts and she is ostracized from those that love and follow Yahweh. But yet we find the same Jesus encountering both of these people and both of these people, regardless of where they come from, come to Jesus with the same measure of desperation. Can I tell you, when we look around this room, we are not all that different. We may have different skin color. We may have a different age. We may have a different background. We may drove up in different looking cars. We may live in a different kind of home. We may have different looking physiques. Everybody can't look like me. I get that, okay? But, but the reality is we all come to the place at some point in time when we are at a, a breaking point of desperation, when we need Jesus to do something in our midst, when we need the miraculous power of Yahweh to break into the brokenness of this world and to do what only he can do. Can somebody say amen tonight? We're not all that different. But what I have found is desperation will lead you to do what you have never done before. I remember I was desperate for my wife to marry me. 
Her name is Sylvia. And she liked Three Doors Down. I went to a Three Doors Down concert because desperation causes you to do things you normally wouldn't do. Can some brothers say amen tonight here because you did the same thing. Like desperation causes you to move. Desperation will cause you to worship in a way you've never worshiped. Desperation will cause you to fast in a way that you've never fasted. Desperation will cause you to evaluate your life in a way you've never evaluated your life. So desperation is not a punishment. Desperation is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to press in in a way that we never have before. It's an opportunity for the kingdom to be known in a way that we never have before. It's a way for us to know Jesus in a way we've never known. This is what I love about Jesus is the longer that I get to know Jesus, the more I realize I don't know Jesus. And every time I get to know him more, I realize there's layers that I'm peeling back and peeling back. So much so that you look at the seraphim and the living creatures when you find them in Isaiah 6 and they're going around the throne of God and they're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then you find them in the book of Revelation some 2,000 years later and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, for thousands of years, these living creatures who have multiple eyes all over their body are seeing a new facet and dynamic of the holiness and the beauty of Almighty Yahweh. So like, but yet I got saved in VBS and I know all there is to know. I'm from Alabama. I don't know why I just spit there, but that was, seemed fitting. That's what we did in Alabama. When you knew something, you spit in the ground, son. <laughs> But we think that we know that all there is. We're, we're religious. We, we, you know, we, 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 we know. All the, I, I, was, I taught a Sunday school class. Can I just tell you, we can spend our whole life peeling back the layers of his goodness and his faithfulness and never come close to knowing the extent, the, the, just the, the breadth and the depth of the beauty of who he is and the depth of his goodness. Can we give him some praise tonight for his goodness? This woman has had this issue for 12 years. Ironically, Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. You can see how the Holy Spirit, the author, is connecting these two people's destinies in this story. As you automatically connect the two. When you think about the reality that when you go back in time and you realize on the same day that Jairus walks out and says, it's a girl, is the same year that this woman began this journey of turmoil and sorrow and loss and suffering. One that is experiencing great joy for 12 years, one that is experiencing great loss for 12 years, but yet they find themselves at the feet of Jesus. And I'm gonna tell you tonight, you may be in a different place than somebody else tonight, but we all need Jesus to break into this place tonight. But I can't help but wonder why this sister in the Lord who I love could not wait 12 more minutes after 12 years to let Jairus' daughter get healed first. And, and the only thing I can come to a conclusion of is she saw her opportunity to touch Jesus. And she was so broken after 12 years of this that she had nothing left to give. And she pressed through the crowd knowing that it would, they would stone her if she wasn't healed and made whole. And she touched the hem of his garment. So, so think about this. She understood what the cost was, but yet she pressed in to his presence. Can I just say something about presence tonight? 
like, like we can do a lot of cool things and we can have church that is really organized and we can have the greatest systems and, and we can have the greatest entertainment value. And, and I thank God, we have, we have this stuff too. This is not a knock. I'm not saying, let's go back to how it used to be. I ain't what I'm saying, all right? I, I'm, I love all, like I love, actually I want your screen. If y'all don't want it, I'll take it. Like I'm just saying, like, like actually I'm gonna preach against it. Y'all don't need it anymore. Y'all should give it to me. I just wanna say that. Like I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this is good. This facility is amazing but it is a complete waste of time if his presence isn't in this place. You say, show me that's what you believe. When I moved to my church a little over 10 years ago, I preached Exodus 33, which I preached the message on the priority of God's presence, where Moses was given a promise by God. God said, I will give you victory over every enemy you face. You will go into a land flowing with milk and honey. I will bless you. He says, however, I'll send my angel before you. I'll give you victory over the ites, the, the Jebusites, the, 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 the parasites, the mosquito bites, like every ite you can think of. And yet Moses says, if you... Don't go with us. Don't take us up from this place. I would rather be in a dry wilderness with your presence than be in a land flown with milk and honey without your presence. Would we make the same deal? Or would we trade his presence for temporary fixes? So she knew I just have to get to Jesus. And she presses through in her desperation and she touches him. Now, the disciples rightly said, Jesus, what do you mean she touched you? You have been pressing through this crowd. If you go to Jerusalem, you'll see the streets are very narrow. And, and you've been bumping into all kinds, you've been brushing up against so many people, but yet you say she touched you. And can I tell you, that is what I feel like the Lord is saying to the church right now. That he doesn't want us coming into church and brushing up against his presence. He wants some people that will come into the house who are hungry and desperate and who will touch Jesus with their faith. Who will actually say, I believe you, God, that you're gonna do what you said you would do. I need you, Lord, in my life. I don't care if everything else fades away. As long as I have you, you are my portion and you are my prize. Some people that will touch him. And those people that will touch him generate a movement known as the kingdom and the miraculous starts breaking out in our midst because he is touched and he begins to release his power and his virtue that goes from him, which is always activated by faith and pursuit. Let, let me just say this tonight. How many thank God for favor? And you hear people say like, well, favor, yeah, but God is no respecter of persons. I don't know what's up with all my accents tonight, but evidently I'm in the mood for accents. I drank a lot of caffeinated stuff on my way here. And it, like, like God is no respecter of persons. Listen, he's not, but you get this in your spirit. But he is a respecter of principles. He is a respecter of purpose and he is a respecter of pursuit. So if I want his favor, I don't just need to sit back and go, well, I'm getting it because everybody, that's called entitlement. That's not empowerment. I need to make sure I'm living out his kingdom prince. He's given us keys of the kingdom, Amen. And then, then I need to make sure I'm connected with his purpose. It's known as the great commission. It's known as expanding the kingdom, destroying the works of the devil, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. That's what we're called to be a part of. And I need to connect myself with a pursuit for him that is radical. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. So to be passionate about his presence changes our lives. But I also need us to get this. 
When we see in this text, again, that's great, that's beautiful. We could preach on, on her, how she went from, from not having a name to being called daughter. I mean, that's a powerful sermon. How he, he was on the way to heal a daughter and on the way he restored someone to being a daughter. Like, like that's powerful, it's poetic, it preaches good, but that's not the assignment tonight. Because when you go past that, you still have to remember in the backdrop of her miracle is Jairus standing there waiting waiting and I'm reading this fresh and again and I'm picking up his offense anybody ever picked up somebody else's offense it ain't of God but uh, you know it's, we done it and I'm picking up his offense I'm like who does she think she is and, and I just heard in my spirit let him finish thus the title let him finish let him finish what he's doing because little did Jairus know that he wasn't just going to come heal his daughter he was going to do a greater miracle. He was going to come resurrect his daughter. And I just need somebody to know tonight that you may be in the waiting, but I'm believing you're in the waiting because there's something greater that's on the way. And that God is going to be God and God is going to do what he said he would do. That you could raise your expectation and your faith to believe it. If there's some people who believe that, can I get an amen in the house tonight? You see, you see, you see, it would have been easy. You see, Jairus could have short-circuited the miracle for his daughter. I need y'all to hear me close on this because this is some kingdom truth I'm about to drop. And you say, well, that's awful arrogant. No, it's just Jesus said it. I'm just repeating it. I'm just kind of like the mailman. But this is, this is the thing. Is when you look at it, it would have been easy for Jairus to cheat his daughter out of her miracle if he would have picked up the offense that he could have picked up. Can I tell y'all that offense is the enemy of the kingdom. And you say, well, show me some scripture for that. Matthew chapter 24, I'm glad you asked. Matthew chapter 24, verse number 10. Is there somewhere I can read this on a screen somewhere? It says, listen, listen to this. Then many will be offended, will betray. Always the next step of an offended person is they will betray someone. It says, and will hate, will hate ultimately if you don't stop it at offense, it ends up in betrayal. If you don't stop it at betrayal, it ends up in the condition of the heart where your default setting is hatred and bitterness and you will spew it all day long. Now, verse 11 is powerful because it follows it up. Then, somebody say then. Then, then, it means right after people are offended, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. I need y'all to get this. Like the ground that is fertile for false prophets to arise is in the hearts of humans that are offended. So, so the enemy will not come in with this false teaching and be overt. He's gonna get some people offended that then betray and they have hate and they sow that offense everywhere and then a false prophet rises up and now I'm about to blow y'all's mind. How many know it says beware of wolves in, can I tell you what it don't say? It don't say beware of wolves in shepherd's clothing. Selah. What, that, what I'm saying is we're always watching for the wolf with the microphone. And we're never watching for the wolf sitting on our row. In other words, there's people that the enemy will use. If you're not living under the rule and the reign of King Jesus, you're living under the prince of this world. And the enemy will use people. Principalities use personalities. 
And those principalities will try to get people to sow discord, to sow division, to speak into your heart, to get you offended, carrying an offense that isn't yours so that you will circumnavigate and shortcut the miraculous thing that Jesus is about to do in your life. But let me say this to you tonight. I feel like the Lord has sent me to tell some people, let him finish. Let him finish what he began. Let him finish what he has started. He is faithful to complete that which he has begun in your life. If you will simply stay true to the process and not pick up offenses. See, Jairus could have, but he didn't. And then all of a sudden, these other people show up as Jesus is interrupted and they said, hold up. She's dead. Hold up. She's dead. Bad news interrupting what Jesus was doing. And, and I'm telling y'all, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm joking a lot tonight, and I don't want you to not take me serious. Just, just hear me out. It would have been easy for me. Last time I was here, I preached in this amazing church about losing my mother. And then right after that, I lost my brother. And then this last year, my dad was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, the same thing that took my brother. And I'm telling you, it was easy. It was easy. Like, I'm not preaching this from the side. I'm preaching this from the field, man. Like, I'm preaching this on the front lines with you. We're like, I'm out here doing these things for Jesus, and everybody's getting healed. I mean, there's people like, like rising from the dead, and people doing it. And, like, and yet, my mama died. I fasted, I danced around her bed, praising God, and she died. My brother died. Now, my dad's up, and, and he, he's, he's got cancer, and, and I'm trying to figure this thing out. I'm like, and I, I wanted to say, like, I'm not praying for you. I'm not the grim reaper of prayers. Like, everybody I pray for dies, it feels like. And, and, and he's like, son, just believe with me. So I started believing. I started fasting, started praying, started believing. And can I just tell the good news? My dad is cancer-free today, like, miraculously. <laughs> miraculously. So, so we can't take the bankrupt experience over here that we don't understand how he works and project the pain onto the current situation to say if he didn't hear me then, he won't hear me now. God is God and sovereign and all-knowing. I'm just going to believe the word of the Lord. Can somebody shout amen tonight? I'm gonna believe. I'm gonna believe. And, but Jesus is interrupted. And they declared... She's dead. They declared it was over, but Jesus didn't. They said she's dead, and Jesus says, I ain't even done yet. And so they're interrupting this procession, this situation. And then Jesus goes, which let me just say this. Some of us have too many life, too many people in our life that are quick to pronounce things dead before they are. How many other people that your marriage is dead? It ain't dead. Watch him do a resurrection work on your marriage. Like, like too, too quick to do it. Anybody, this is not of God. Anybody seen Monty Python? Anybody ever watch that? Bring out your dead. Anybody seen that? Excuse me, sir. I'm not dead. <laughs> they just hit him over the head. There's some people, they, they, they hit your dreams over the head. They're hitting your calling over the head. They, they, they're trying to hit your marriage over the head. They're trying to hit the purpose and calling on your child's life over the head because they're declaring it dead, but God is not done. And I just want to declare tonight in the name of Jesus that even if it is dead, he is a resurrecting, powerful God who can resurrect things and bring it back to life. 
So, the, so they're, they're interrupting him. But then Jesus, he shows up at the house finally. And he is greeted by mourners. And I don't know if you know this, but in the first century Judea, there was a job as a professional mourner. It was a vocation. Like, I know some people I need to send over to Judea from my church and be like, I have found your calling. You know what I'm talking about? They got that Eeyore anointing on their life. <laughs> you just won a million dollars, but I got to pay the taxes. <laughs> you might know those people. You just won a new car. I don't really like the color. <laughs> what? Like you try to give them something to shout about. They're going to find something to, to me that, well, I just don't think that's my personality. Like it, it's, it, it's an Eeyore anointing. They're mourn professional mourners. Have you ever noticed there's some people like, like there's some people, and I'm just going to talk about them. They're in my church. I ain't going to name names. But you give them good news and they lock up. You tell them some bad news, and oh man, they all over the place. They're better than Coca-Cola getting the news out about it. I mean like, have you heard about Eloise? She's got the cancer, yep, she does. But yet you tell somebody about somebody getting healed, they're like, oh that's nice. Like why is it that we are drawn to, to celebrate or to spreading bad news when the gospel is good news and that's what we're supposed to be shouting from the rooftops because God doesn't want our drama. He wants our deliverance and he wants our healing and he wants our purpose and he wants our calling and he wants us walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, like it's so much more than what a morning life looks like. So Jesus does. You know, I think sometimes we think Jesus is so weak. We, we, we kind of think Jesus is a hippie. And it, you know, he's running through a field. Hello, I'm Jesus. Just happy you're here. <laughs> that's not hippie, that's sissy Jesus. Let me, let me get back to, hey, I'm Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's hippie Jesus. And, and he's just, he just running through the field and like, like, like we treat Jesus like he's insecure in high school and can't get a date. That's evangelism, how we do it. Where we beg people, would you just please be saved? Please be saved. Like, can I tell you, he's got fire in his eyes and, and a sword that comes from his mouth and, and he's gonna rule and reign over the nations with a rod of iron and, and, and whether they do it now or do it later, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I'm a firm believer that we only preach Jesus as Savior and not as King anymore in the church. And the danger of it is this. It's because we have established, instead of the ecclesia, we have created a cult of self-esteem. And what we care about is people feeling good about themselves, whether they're going to hell or not. We just want you to feel good about yourself. But when you find out there's a king that we bend a knee to, that we give our allegiance to, that Jesus doesn't just want us to share in his victory, he wants us to share in his values. And he wants us to bend a knee and allegiance, not just give him affection. The most dangerous thing is a person that can whisper sweet nothings about Jesus with romanticized views of worship and who he is and wax eloquent with their words about how much they love him, but yet they will not bend a knee and, and, and submit their lives to the word of God. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. And so that being said, we as kingdom people, 
We've got to be careful. And what Jesus does is he goes in the room and he does what many of us need to do. He puts some people out of the room. That is not a tender Jesus. That is not a weak Jesus. That's like, hey, you ain't believing, get out. And, 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 and yet we see that he was able to say, little girl, get up, because he told them, y'all got to get out. And I think some of us are trying to say get up before we've said get out. And we've allowed people to influence our faith to create a cynical and a skeptical posture to where we don't believe the promises of God anymore. And you say, well, show me that. Why, why, like, why, why, why is this woman with an issue of blood able to be healed in the midst of a crowd, but yet Jesus has to put them out of the room for Jairus' daughter to be healed? Y'all ready for this? Because religious people have a higher propensity to care about what people think and allowing the other people's opinions to shape their belief system. People in the world just don't give a rip. But let churchy people do it. I don't want them to think I'm too, too radical. Like if I worship and raise my hand and dance and all that, like they're gonna think I'm one of those crazy churches. Like where's the snakes at? Like they're gonna think we're getting snakes. We, we worry about all that stuff. Like y'all think, how do you know about that? I grew up in an old school Pentecostal church, y'all. I'm talking about where you had to dodge bobby pins that were flying out of ladies' hairs. Some of y'all don't know nothing about that. Like, like I saw a 300-pound man run the tops of pews that were not bolted to the floor. It had to be a miracle of God. Like, like I remember I brought, anybody come from a Baptist background? Wave at me, Baptist background. Like, I love y'all. Y'all love the word. I thank God for that. So thankful. My best friend was Baptist. And I took him to our church, little Pentecostal church in the backwoods in Alabama where everybody was a cousin somewhere. And I remember we're, he's standing there and, and like it was one of those services, you know what I'm talking about? We're like sister yo-yo with the tambourines up there and she's getting it. And, I mean, she's getting after it with that tambourine and, I'm, and I knew it was about to break out and there, sure, there went somebody, took off running. I'm thinking somebody's about to go again. And then we got the lady like swatting gnats is what I called it, she'll do this. And you got the helicopter, you know, you got all those. And, and all that's going on. I look over at my friend and I said, hey, hey, two things. Don't make eye contact with the preacher. None of y'all been raised in churches where you couldn't make eye contact because if you did, they're going to call you out. And number two, when they get the snakes out, run. And he was like, are you serious? I'm just kidding, man. But isn't it amazing if we would get a bold and audacious faith that said, I don't care what religious people think. I just need to touch Jesus. That said, I don't care if he doesn't answer on my time. I'm not gonna stop believing that he will do what he said he will do. Show me one time in the Bible where someone approaches Jesus with bold and audacious faith that God doesn't answer their request or do a miracle. Show me one time and I will shut up preaching. You don't find it. You don't find it. So I need us to understand that God wants to finish. But then he says something that I think is significant. He says, I just had like one of those aha moments. I thought I was done and I flipped, there's another page of notes. I was like, oh God, Merry Christmas. <laughs> you tell this first time I've preached this one. Is he said she's not dead, but she's sleeping. Now when I first read that, I'm like, is Jesus lying? Jesus wouldn't lie. And then I was reminded of the power of his word. 
And the thing about it is God can't lie because whenever he says something, it becomes the thing he says. If, if God said the sky is neon green, guess what it's going to be? Neon green. If he says you're going to grow out a third eye above on your forehead, guess what you're going to do? A third eye on your forehead. You're going to have it. If he said Jason's going to have abs, he's going to have abs. <laughs> like, like whatever he says, I need you to get this. When he said she's not dead, she's sleeping. At that moment, I believe she took a yawn and started dreaming a dream laying on that bed. Because this is what I know about Jesus. He's not a man that he should lie. But if it's in that situation, that means whatever he has said over your life and over your family, and I'm just going to declare tonight, whatever he has said over this church and over this ministry, no matter what man does, no matter what the enemy does, God is not a man that he should lie. It will come to pass. Thus says the Lord. If he says it, he's going to do it. If he says it, he's going to do it. So they begin ridiculing Jesus. They begin mocking him because of this bold and audacious action that he's doing. And tonight I want to, I want to end with this. Worship team can go ahead and come up. I feel like the Lord is doing something significant in the earth right now. And let me unpack just a little bit of what I'm talking about. Before COVID, and I know I hate using that language, before COVID, the church I pastor, we had around 1,300 people on a Sunday, okay? We took a few months off and we came back on Pentecost Sunday with 300 people. Some of those people probably watching online, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody that's doing anything. I'm just making a point here. Some of them maybe found other churches. Some of them got raptured. That's the only thing I can figure out. I, haven't seen, I don't even see them at the grocery store anymore. I don't know where they went. And, but they still got automated tithing. Praise the Lamb. I'm kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> I'm, joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. You should all set that up, by the way, in case you're pre-trib. That way some of those that stay behind could still have something to do something with a budget. But, but the reality is we came back with 300 people. And in the midst of that, it was 300 people. And all of a sudden, it was like everything in our church went crazy, y'all. It was like people that were snakes. I didn't know were snakes. All of a sudden, their heads started like popping up. And they're like, hey, how you doing? I'm a snake. I was like, hey. Hey, snake. And it was, it was just everywhere. It was like people, people that I did the most for were the most offended at me. And I, had, I determined during that time that those you have to do the most for, you can never do enough for. And, and it was just like betrayal after betrayal after betrayal, moral failure on, on somebody on our staff. Like it was just one thing after another thing after another thing. And so I, and in the midst of it, I was like, Lord, you're going to have to sound the trumpet soon. I can't do this very much longer. It was hard. And in the midst of it, he showed me, he said, Jason, he said, I'm ripping the Band-Aid off so that my church can repent and get back to what it's really about. That, that we, listen, listen, there was a season we were really good. And I'm telling you from my posture, I'm talking about my leadership. And he showed me that I was better at winning people to our momentum than I was at winning them to my Messiah. That, that I didn't win them to Jesus, I won them to Gateway. 
and, and, and that's a difference because you can make somebody a part of, of something to, to feel like they're inclusive about something and they don't even know Jesus. And the reason I knew that is when I saw a lack of maturity that people were not following Christ, they had no ethics that matched Jesus' heart and they were doing things that were divisive in the church and it showed me they have no lordship in their life. They have no fear of the Lord anymore and we have got to do something to get back to that. So what I believe is happening right now is the Lord is setting up his church for a great last final push at a harvest before Jesus comes back to get his bride. How many believe Jesus is coming soon? I believe he's coming. I do. I do. But if you look in this text, after Jesus raises the little girl, he says, give her something to eat. Can I just tell you, we don't just need a movement of reviving. We also got to have a movement that feeds those that are revived that we have to do something when they come to life. And it takes a church, not a pastor. Let me, let me just say this. Did you know their assignment is not ministry? Their assignment is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So, so their assignment is to equip you for everything that God has called you to do. That is called the kingdom of God. And what I believe with all of my heart is that this church and people in this church, that you maybe have been in a waiting season You've maybe been in a time that you've been saying, why is everyone else getting their miracle, but I'm not getting mine? Why is this happening, but it's not happening for me? But I'm here to tell you that God has you right where he wants you, and he's going to do something special and unique in your life. If you will simply believe and have patience and hang on to God and press into his presence and have desperation that doesn't relent and say, God, I am not going to give up until I see the breakthrough that I'm believing for. When you see in the New Testament that Jesus says numerous times, said there was this woman that went to an unjust judge and finally he got so annoyed with her that he did what she was asking and another time this friend is knocking on his friend's door he didn't get up based on friendship he got up because the dude wouldn't quit knocking on his door at night I'm telling you he's saying heaven is the same way there is something about the fervent and effectual prayers of a righteous man and woman that avails much that if we will have the tenacity to grab the horns of the altar and say God I'm believing for my church I'm believing for my home I'm believing for my family I'm believing in my life and I will not stop until I see the goodness of God in the land of the living. If you believe that, will you stand to your feet all over the house and lift up a praise in this place? Would you stand with me? Could you just bow your heads and just lift your hands for a moment? Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, right now, right now under the authority that you have placed on me to stand in this place not in Jason but as your servant I break off a spirit of heaviness that joy is returning that strength is returning I declare that disappointment is going to be replaced with delight again that hearts are going to be mended. That purposes will be made known and clear. That families will be restored. Lord, that you will do what only you can do in this place. I'm going to ask you a question. How many desire more of God in this place? Would you wave at me? Just wave your hand if you desire the more of God, the kingdom to break in. I'm going to say this as clear as I can. The proof of desire is pursuit. We can claim to desire all we want, but if you really desire something, you go after it. So I'm going to do this tonight, and you say, why are you doing it this way? It's just the way I feel led to do it. We're going to pray, and something's going to happen in this altar tonight. 
He said, how do you know that? Because God's been talking to me about it the whole way up driving from Tennessee. I'm gonna count to three. You say, why three? I don't know, it's just what I'm counting to. And when I say three, I don't want you to, listen, listen, I don't want you to wait to see who steps out. I, I don't want you to wait and be like, is this for me? I don't want you to look at your watch and be like, it's a, it's a week now. I, no, are you, are, you, are you passionate to pursue him or not? This is a moment when Jesus is passing by. And are you gonna press through the crowd to get to that place? So when I say three, I want you to run to this altar. I want you to get here as fast as you can. Are you ready for this? One, two, three. If you would, join me up here. Join me up here as they begin to worship. Just begin to pray. Just begin to pursue him right now. We're gonna just make our way through. I'm gonna be directed. The prayer team's gonna be directed. The staff's gonna be directed. But we're gonna press into this place tonight. Press into his presence. Press into kingdom realities. Right now, I declare healing in this house in the name of Jesus. Healing in this house in the name of Jesus. Right now, I declare spirit baptism in this house right now in the name of Jesus. Who's wanting to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Wave your hand if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you would, make your way right here to the middle at the front of the stage if you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come down and pray with you. You say, well, well, what do you mean? The Bible says when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. There's something about doing that by faith. Father, I declare right now mental illness and disease has to bow to the name of Jesus. Those with borderline personality, those with bipolar, bipolar 2, those with anxiety, those with depression, right now in the name of Jesus, those who are struggling with PTSD and trauma, I just speak healing right now in the name of Jesus. Those that are not grieving, but those that are carrying a spirit of grief, I speak freedom right now in the name of Jesus. That Lord, under the name of Jesus, that spirit has to go. It has to be broken right now. That right now, that spirit of timidity, that spirit of fear, that Lord, you're breaking it off right now in the name of Jesus. Right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I speak boldness. I speak faith. I speak power. I speak empowerment. I speak kingdom in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Can y'all begin to worship, guys, if you can? I'm just going to walk through and pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.